The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So we're looking at Psalm 23 this morning. If you want to open your apps or your Bibles, Psalm 23 is what we're looking at. Um, when we talked about this series coming up uh, in the book of Psalms, I lobbied really hard for this chapter. This is one of my all-time favorite chapters in all the Bible, the first chapter I ever memorized as a kid and uh, written by one of my favorite um, characters in the Bible as well, maybe along with you as well. We put out a little challenge earlier this week to try to memorize this chapter as a family or as an individual. And some of you may already have it memorized, but maybe some of you like me had it memorized in King James Version because you're old like me. Uh, but uh, either way, we're going to attempt to actually quote it together uh, as we go. So I'm going to kind of get you started, and uh, we're going to see how this goes, okay? And if, it's, if you mess up, don't worry. You're six feet apart. They can barely hear you mess up, okay? So here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, oh, come on. You can do it. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness, oh, sorry, my cup overflows, I messed up. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is such a precious psalm, one that many have uh, used in sermons over the years. And to think about the background before we get into Psalm 23, it's important for us to know what comes before it. In Psalm 22, if you take a, a minute, maybe later this evening or this afternoon, to look at Psalm 22, you're going to see an amazing prophetic voice into the suffering of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us, before we can really talk about the Lord being our shepherd, that we actually have to see him as the one who died for us. Before we get to Psalm 23, 1, we have to look and see that he says in 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we get to the Lord is my shepherd in 23.1, and 22 is just filled with amazing prophecy. As Charles Spurgeon put it, we must by experience know the value of the blood shedding and see the world awakened against the good shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. Think about this statement in 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. And if you notice in your Bible, most likely it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because this is a special name for God. This is the name Yahweh, the name that was so sacred and special that Jews agreed to not even say it out loud. That's how sacred this name is of God himself, the one who is the creator Many scholars believe that the most proper meaning of this word is that he brings into existence whatever exists. That when he says, Lord, 
The Lord is my shepherd. He's speaking of this creator. And he goes on in this passage to talk about creation. The waters and the trees and even the rocks and the canyons. So for us, it's important to understand that. And there's a little story as I read this passage that I thought of that happened recently to me. Chase shared last week a little bit about a family adventure he had. And uh, one that was a little rough with five kids. Well, my wife and I just recently went on a similar adventure, actually two weeks ago to this day. We decided to take a trip to Arkansas. Now, some of you out there are thinking, well, is that the joke, you know, that you actually wanted to go to Arkansas? But I, I, I had heard some, from some people that it was actually beautiful. But the joke is that uh, we decided to borrow a friend's RV. And we have four kids and a huge dog. And so this is a travel trailer, so we couldn't ride in the RV seven hours up to Little Rock area. Oh, not Little Rock, uh, was it Hot Springs where we went? We all had to ride in the truck together. So imagine the three of us, my wife, Noah, and myself, and then my, three, my two girls and, and Owen in the back with a 100-pound dog uh, sitting with them in the seat. He didn't sit on the floor, which we thought he would do. Uh, so we made this adventure up to Arkansas. So we discovered a few things. One is that Arkansas has intense poison ivy. At least I discovered that. I'm still, it's all over me uh, right now. So it's good that we're socially distancing. Uh, but I also discovered that going somewhere and staying in an RV with uh, your whole family is a great test to the fruit of the spirit. And a test that I failed over and over and over again. But another thing that uh, we discovered is the beauty that surrounds us in the world and how astounding it is. Uh, one of the things I was looking forward to was on the trip was hiking, being able to hike uh, with my family, being able to go and, and uh, enjoy some time in nature. And uh, we, we ended up doing that and we came upon uh, this, uh, in Falls Branch Trail, we came upon this uh, beautiful trail and we, we saw some things that Outside of Rwanda, I haven't seen the beauty of God in that way in so long. Um, it's just an amazing picture of God's creation. And so we go on this hike, and some of the members of our family were excited. Some of the members, not so much. I won't say their names, but uh, some of them were kind of done with the place and ready to go. Uh, but we decided we're going to do this. We're going to take advantage of this. These are mountains around. They don't have these where we live. So let's go check it out. So we went to Falls Branch Trail. and. As we hike, uh, all along the, the trail was this beautiful spring. So this spring of water that immediately brought me back to Psalm 23, how God leads us beside still waters. And here, Owen and Kendall, my, my crazy kids, they're jumping in the water, which is amazing. You know, my dog's jumping in, and we're just walking along the way. And uh, you see this picture of, of God's beauty and his creation. But I had told them that there was a waterfall. I told my kids there was a waterfall coming up, and I had never been there before. But as we go along the way, the stream had made a few little waterfalls. And so they would say, hey, is this, is this it, Dad? Is this it? Is this the waterfall? And it's like this big. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I've never been here before. And in my mind, not out loud, saying, God, I hope this isn't the waterfall. I hope this isn't it. I pumped this thing up and I saw pictures that looked like a big waterfall, but maybe this is it. And I'm going to be the loser dad, right? And go back to the stinking RV with the dog and kind of just figure out what we're going to do. But 
my daughters had run ahead and they went over the hill and I heard them screaming. So it was either someone had fallen off a cliff or, you know, there actually was a waterfall. So I heard Kendall, our loudest kid, uh, start yelling, here it is, it's a waterfall, it's a waterfall. And I come up over the hill and see this and my first instinct was to get my two, my two crazy kids back from it because it had just rained. And I thought they were gonna jump off the edge. But when I walked up on it, it was just the beauty of God's creation was just astounding. To see this water rushing over, to see the trees around, to walk around and see your kids just jumping and playing in the cold water. It was just an amazing scene and it brought me again to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, the creator, capital L-O-R-D, the creator, he is my shepherd. He is my God and the creator of this waterfall and everything in this fascinating and beautiful world has also stooped to the lowly role of being my shepherd. You think about that concept. David doesn't just say he is a shepherd or is he is the shepherd, kind of generic term. But David sees God as my shepherd. Those two letters really change things. That this God who created everything has stooped down into our messed up world and become my shepherd, has become your shepherd. And of course, before we get too far down the road, being personal with everything, God created community, right? And so he created not only him being my shepherd, then he becomes our shepherd as we live in community together. But it's such a powerful thing to picture. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller gives some excellent insight into this psalm. He says, let us then consider our great shepherd from the viewpoint of the sheep. When David spoke of Yahweh as his shepherd, he thought of him not only as his provider and protector, but also as his king. So when the simple, though sublime statement is made by a man or woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between a human being and his maker. It links a lump of common clay to divine destiny. It means a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. You see, God has always intended it for us to be sheep. Did you hear that? God's always intended for us to be sheep. It's an interesting statement and one to really consider. Even on this field behind me, not too long ago, there were hundreds of graduates sitting socially distanced, about to graduate, about to advance, right, in life. And Belton, they had theirs the other day, and the schools all around us had their graduations. But see, there is no graduation for sheephood. You hear that? There's no graduation. Like all of us, like I want my sons to grow up and, and stop eventually whining, you know, and become men who operate in this world, right? There's kind of a progression we see in humanity where you become something more. But the paradox here in scripture is that, no, we don't become something more. We continue as sheep. We don't advance to be lions or bears or anything at the top of the food chain. We continue as sheep, which we should be thankful for, because the great news is that your shepherd, the good shepherd, is the Lion of Judah. He's the one who went to the cross bearing our sin and shame. He was crucified and rose again as our conquering king. So you can be comfortable 
as a dirty sheep. You can be comfortable even as a wandering sheep. You can be okay with that, not okay with your sin, but okay with the fact that you have a savior, the lion of Judah, who's conquered death, who's conquered sin and made a way for you to the father. And so it's a powerful thing to consider that he is my shepherd. Let's jump on over to verse four and kind of work our way back. Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You think about the word used for valley and this word in Hebrew is gahi. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but that's my best guess. It appears to be more than just a valley though. It's a, it's a deep and narrow gorge. And what you can picture here is a place that is just a canyon with one little strip of a trail in it. And as high as those stands are over there behind us on either side, and there's no exit. You can only go forward or backward. That's what this Hebrew word describes is the valley of the shadow of death. There's no kind of getting off. And for us, oftentimes we just check out when we see a problem, we say, I'm not dealing with it. I'm out of here. And David's like, no, even though the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through this, I will fear no evil. And we can understand that this can be figurative, right? In your life, it could be anxiety. It could be fear, this valley. But also as David wrote this Psalm, it could be literal because if you read the scriptures about David's life, you know, he experienced these valleys. He experienced these rocks and he even wrote about them and hiding in caves from his enemies. And so David, you can see him picturing these, these rocks and these places that really have no exit or no escape. And so he experienced that even firsthand. But for us, I think all of us uh, at TBC can relate in a way to what we experienced over the last six years. And I had the privilege and honor to watch a faithful servant, Gary DeSalvo, endure the vast valley of the shadow of death that hung over him day in and day out. His trust in the good shepherd, based on this psalm, showed us all how God makes us lie down in green pastures as he soaked up time with his family. And how God restores our soul as he fought through painful and seemingly endless treatments and bounced back seemingly happier than when he went into them. And also as God restores our soul, or as God shows us the path of righteousness as he served our flock in the middle of all this pain. And as the shadow of death literally hung over him for six years. Now was he Superman? Was he a lion? Was he a bear? No. If he was here today, he would tell you, I'm, I'm just a dumb sheep. He would tell you he wasn't superhuman. He wasn't super spiritual. He was just one who followed the good shepherd. And the good shepherd made a difference in his life. So for us, as we can look at this, we see examples of the good shepherd. And for some of you, maybe you've seen this in your own dad, your own fathers, who seek to follow God as the good shepherd. I know I've seen that in my own life and my dad. Now, David shifts a little bit in verse five and he shifts to his enemies. David had a lot of enemies. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't have enemies like David had. At least I don't think I do. Uh, these enemies were trying to kill the man. 
throwing spears at his head while he's trying to eat dinner. This man knew what it was to have an enemy. And in verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So in these moments, as David focuses a little on his enemies, he's not really focusing on the enemies at all. He's focusing on the God who cares for him, the God who has him in his hands. So instead of the imminent danger and the death and the potential murder that he's facing, instead he's looking to God and he recognizes, look, even in the presence of my enemies, my cup runs over. So we see him taking comfort in that. Kind of reminds me of the Last Supper when Jesus is eating with the disciples and Jesus is just hanging out. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that one of his disciples literally has betrayed him. But what is he doing? He's sitting down teaching his disciples about what it means to serve others in the face of death, in the presence of his enemies. Here's Jesus being an example of what it looks like. If you jump back and look at it in Ezekiel 34, and we don't have time to read the whole thing. We're almost done here for those that are really hot. But in Ezekiel 34, we see the prophet called to prophesy against the shepherds. They were called shepherds. They were the leaders of Israel, but they weren't acting like good shepherds. He calls these shepherds out for feeding themselves while neglecting the sheep, for caring for their own needs while the sheep went unattended, and for blatantly ignoring the need for justice for the sheep. And then God goes on to say through Ezekiel, I will seek them out. I will care for them. I will carry them back to the fold. And he concludes in verse 30 and 31, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. What a powerful passage that connects if we fast forward hundreds of years later Here Jesus stands in the temple, and Jesus stands in the temple, and he says, among all the religious leaders, what does he say? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So he's hearkening back to those who were experts in the Old Testament, in the law, saying, hey, guess what? I'm he. I'm the one that was told about and written about in Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd. He's combining God as I am. And then the son, Jesus, as the good shepherd. And he's basically telling them, I'm God. Which, of course, really ticked them off and led to his death, his crucifixion. So we see this connection here in this passage. And then lastly, in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another word, another Hebrew word that you get to learn this morning is the word for follow in this passage. It's, uh, I don't know how it's pronounced, radaf, radoff. But the translation of this Hebrew verb as follow is far too weak if you really look into it. It actually means to chase after or to pursue. To chase after or to pursue. It's an interesting thing that kind of maybe lightens up the verse a little bit when we say just follow. Author Chad Bird puts it this way, the goodness and mercy of God do not follow us like a good little puppy dog trailing along behind us. Rather, they gallop after us like a celestial stallion. 
the divine love and grace of our shepherd radafts us all the way to heaven's gate and into the arms of our waiting father. We also see this as an example in the story of the prodigal son, which is often referred to as the prodigal son, but really should be the prodigal God or the prodigal father. Because if you look at the definition of prodigal, it actually talks about in that definition, someone who gives lavishly, someone who gives recklessly. So it's not a prodigal son. The son ditched his dad. The son went on to do horrible things. But instead, this prodigal God actually forgave, this prodigal father actually forgave and embraced his son. And this is the picture that we get in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And I always, until this week, I really thought about that as like a little puppy dog, you know, like this mercy is just kind of dancing behind me. And whenever I need it, I can call on God. And, and here he is. He's kind of just following me. But instead, it's a pursuit. It's like here on this track, if you, if you ever gone to a track meet, even on this, in this track where someone is getting run down and they're at that last hundred meters and this person is just pushing and chasing after them. That's what I picture now when I read this verse, his mercy follows me, but it's not just follow, it pursues me. We are pursued by mercy. We are chased by grace. We are not merely followed. So another passage you can look at later today is Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 3 to 7, talks about the, the lost sheep. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And we think about the good shepherd and the lost sheep, and this, this parable is just blows our mind when we think about the fact that one ran away. There were 100 of them in the example. One ran away and got lost, and the other 99 were there. And here Jesus is, the good shepherd, and he runs that, that sheep down. And I imagine in that, in that illustration, in that parable, Jesus didn't think about, uh, you know, the shepherd kind of just wandering. Hmm, I wonder where my sheep is. You know, looking around, just kind of fumbling around like my, my son looks for his shoes, right? Really, did you even pick anything up in your room to find that stuff? Really, go back in there and look again. And I imagine it, it being more like he describes even in, in subsequent parables where it's like this precious coin that's lost and you're tearing things apart in your room and you're flipping over beds and you're tearing couches up, ripping them open, trying to find this lost coin. And this is our good shepherd. This good shepherd chases after the sheep. He chased after you. If you know Jesus... He didn't, you didn't just stumble onto Jesus. Even if you're like me growing up in a, a home full of Christians, you didn't just stumble onto Jesus. It wasn't an accident that, that you have parents that love Jesus. That was part of God's pursuit of you. And so for us, we can see that this isn't just a mere following. This is God's passionate pursuit of his people. So for those that don't know Jesus today, maybe God's pursuing you in this moment right now. Maybe God's pushing for you to know the Savior, the Good Shepherd. And I encourage you to respond today. Let's pray. Dear God, we are thankful for the Good Shepherd. We're thankful for the Son. 
We're thankful for this chapter who fills us with words that we can really imagine and put ourselves in the text to, to see streams of water, to see the strength even in the face of our enemies. The fact that you, the creator of the sky, the creator of mountains, the creator of streams, the creator of oceans, that you would choose to be our shepherd, to be our friend, to be our father, to be our savior. God, I pray for those who may not know you today, that they will see you as the good shepherd chasing them down this morning. For those of us that do know you, Lord God, that we will repent of our sin, to see you for who you are and stop dumbing you down and stop bringing you down to our level, but instead recognizing you for who you are, the great creator, the God, Yahweh, who holds all things together. God, we praise you today and thank you for your word. Thankful for this song we're about to sing that talks about your love and how you pursue us. In your name we pray. Amen.